0: This is Barely Political by the only nonpartisan magazine at UC Berkeley, the Berkeley Political Review. I am your host, Michelle Wong, and we will be joining in today's heated discussion on yet another political topic. Let's dive right into the conversation. So hello to all the audience tuning in at BPR Barely Political Podcast. So today, on February 20th, 2022, we're honored to have Stephanie with us. She is a sophomore double majoring in environmental economics and policy and philosophy at UC Berkeley. Her article on the Russian natural gas pipeline will be published anytime soon. And today we will be addressing the exact topic in light of the Russia-Ukraine conflict that is unfolding quite quickly. So this is a topic I personally feel of great importance and Stephanie's take is a very novel one. So I'm super excited to delve right into the topic. So Stephanie, let's start with some introduction of the issue for those who are unfamiliar. So I understand you're tackling the uh, Nord Stream 2 which is a natural gas pipeline specifically. So, why don't you give us some background information on it? So, what exactly it is?
1: Exactly. So, Nord Stream 2 is, um, as the name suggests, the second uh, Nord Stream pipeline, uh, which is a pipeline running from Western Siberia and Russia all the way to the coast of Germany mm-hmm. through the Baltic Sea. Um, now, this is the second um, pipeline of its type, the first one having been installed um, about six, seven years ago. Um, and this one has been completed in late 2021. Um, however, because of tensions in Europe, mm-hmm. um, it has not yet been um, put
0: to use. I see. Mm-hmm. So in light of you know today's um, very tense uh, mm-hmm. situation between Russia and Ukraine, why do you think this is important in today's discussion? To look at the issue between Russia, Ukraine,
1: and NATO um, as a purely um, foreign policy, um, directed one is a mistake, in my eyes, Mm -hmm. um, because the um, finances and the business um, and the uh, really basic needs of European citizens um, cannot be overlooked Mm -hmm. in um, thinking about how this crisis um, can unfold and what it looks like right now. Um, And so um, the main issue that I think is uh, important here is taking a look at how um, German citizens and Ukrainian citizens um, are influenced by um, the implementation of this pipeline um, and quite possibly um, if tensions continue to rise um, the complete abandonment of this pipeline mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah so I think that's a definitely like you know a super important take on the issue and as you mentioned the citizens um, mm-hmm. basically safety and um, their welfare um, should be considered not just, the foreign affair lens, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So I want to bring up um, the case study that actually already happened in 2014. I'm not sure how familiar you are with it, but um, so Russia already cut off pipeline to Ukraine once in 2014, and so do you think that kind of sheds a light um, on today's discussion?
1: I think there's been multiple times, actually, that mm-hmm. uh, Russia has cut off um, pipeline access to Ukraine. I believe the first time was in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was due to um, a different issue, which was Ukraine actually um, kind of taking up percentage of the gas um, that was supposed to go um, elsewhere in Europe. Um, but the the gas rel- relationship between Russia and Ukraine has been a strained one um, since, I believe, the, the late 90s. Uh, because Russia needs Ukraine for mm-hmm. land-based pipeline um, access, and Ukraine has such a large percentage um, of its GDP. I think it's about 4%, $2 trillion. Um, wow. dollars, um, that depends on the fees that Ukraine gets from Russia mm-hmm. um, for having them access um, the, the land to send the pipeline through. And so you, you can look at multiple different instances of just... Um, Russia cutting off access or having some very strained relations between the two countries.
0: I'm just wondering, are you um, perhaps aware of any other like natural resources or any other financial resources that Russia has taken away from, uh, whether it be Ukraine or other European powers?
1: Uh, I don't think I can speak on that.
0: Actually, okay. yeah, I'm not sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, then you talked about um, how Ukraine is very much energy dependent on Russia, and I'm just wondering. Um, how like what kind of a uh, implication does that bring to you know um, the conflict that's unfolding? Mm-hmm.
1: So the Nord Stream two and um, Nord Stream one um, are part of a larger strategy um, that Russia is putting to place right now um, that is removing um, some financial um, ties that it has to um, post-Soviet republics that have turned their backs on on Russia, um, and so that is in large part um, Ukraine, mm-hmm. um, especially following um, the events that took place in Crimea um, seven years ago, right. eight years ago. So um, as these these um, tensen, tensions beginning to um, crescend and get to a higher point um, between Russia um, and Ukraine and NATO, mm-hmm. um, they're really trying to remove the foot in the door that they have in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, so that includes cutting off um, gas access to Ukraine, um, putting in more and more gas through the Nord Streams, and eventually Russia's plan, as they've announced, actually, is to remove um, any sort of gas um, passage through Ukraine altogether. Um, so as I've mentioned, a uh, large part of Ukrainian GDP is based off of these fees, and um, Ukrainian politicians claim that this is a sort of punishment um, from Russia to Ukraine um, yes. due to their,
0: their actions towards Russia so you already mentioned how this is a huge portion of the GDP for Ukraine mm-hmm. This natural resource I'm just wondering taking a more like civil society lens uh, what would you say what would you predict um, how big of an impact would it have on the civilians if let's say the uh, pipeline was cut off again to
1: the citizens of Ukraine yes I, I believe this could be a very major um, financial shock to Ukraine uh, and that would trickle down to all of this citizens involved as well obviously Mm -hmm. um there's um, a huge number of jobs that ukrainians hold uh, maintaining the pipeline Um, and of course these fees are used um, by the ukrainian government for um, general infrastructure as well Um, so by cutting this off ukraine is left in a much weaker position um, which if you're to be uh i think pretty pessimistic about the situation but maybe realistic um, could be exploited by russia um, in the event of an evasion.
0: How about the households? Do we know, like, let's say, not perhaps the precise percentage, but let's just say like an estimated amount of households that are actually dependent on this natural gas that's from Russia? Um,
1: I'm not sure of the number in Ukraine. Um, I do know of a number in Germany, but I'm talk Ukraine. about that, yeah. Yeah, so in Germany, um, I can't remember the exact number um, of, of households that would be impacted um, by the Um, maybe increase in prices that cutting off the pipeline would bring. Um, However, in 2021, Mm -hmm. um, the price of gas um, rose by 800%. um, And that was due to um, maybe some locking off of reserves from Russia, um, but also just um, a worldwide um, increase in gas prices. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people in Germany, um, and actually all across the the, uh, European continent are having to deal with Um, this increase in natural gas, which of course then um, translates to higher um, prices of maybe their groceries or their rent, etc. So this is a major financial issue for for German citizens, Ukrainian citizens, and to a larger effect,
0: um, uh, all of the continent. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to, so you mentioned all of the continents, so I just wanted to briefly go back to the post-Soviet nations, actually, mm-hmm. very quickly. Um. So, so obviously, Ukraine was a post-Soviet uh, nation, and I was just wondering, why specifically Ukraine? Why targeting Ukraine and not, for instance, Belarus or Poland? Mm-hmm. So
1: the first part of that, Belarus... Um, would be among the nations, um, post-Soviet nations or otherwise, um, that actually have a very friendly relationship with Russia. Um, and um, Belarus, Hungary to an extent, etc., cetera, um, are somewhat spared from maybe the more hostile aspects of Russian foreign policy at the moment. Um, Poland, Romania, um, et cetera, these are the ones that are um, kind of feeling maybe a little bit of tension mm-hmm. from um, from Russia. but they have a lot of um, kind of NATO support that they get to enjoy. Ukraine, on the other hand, does not get that. Mm -hmm. So it's stuck between um, Russia and Russia, Ukraine, I think it would be pretty simple to say, don't have the best relationship, uh, but they don't get the backing from NATO. um, And that's why this whole issue with with NATO and Ukraine um, is starting to lead to Russia maybe amassing troops on the border, having uh, more threats of more obvious
0: violence. Which is what we're seeing these days. Exactly. Um, So you mentioned NATO support. I just wanted, I'm just wondering if you could please elaborate a bit on um, the exact relationship between Ukraine and NATO and why some of the other post-Soviet powers are more, you know, um, relevant to NATO than Ukraine. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Well, I think it would be simple to say that Ukraine doesn't enjoy NATO support because it didn't really get to um, involve itself with NATO mm-hmm. um, to the extent that um, other countries in the area have been able to. Um, and now it's not like the entire area is either Russia or NATO. <laughs> that would be right. a bit of a false dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that they have this kind of precarious position uh, means that that can be um, somewhat um, taken advantage of. Um, I think that's all that I can really say. All right.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, That I think that perfectly explains it. Mm-hmm. So let's go to Germany again. Mm-hmm. So one of the main stakeholders in the situation is Germany. So can you first explain to us what does the Germany-Russia relationship look like? Mm-hmm. So the
1: Russia-Germany relationship is actually very interesting, a very nuanced one, mm-hmm. uh, because, of course, um, Germany is a loud voice in NATO. Um, however, over the past couple of decades, um, the two have enjoyed um, somewhat mutual, um, mutually beneficial relationship. Um, and I think a very simple way to explain this, um, albeit maybe not the most nuanced one, would be that in the past, Russia has had the materials, but not the market. And Germany has had the market, but not the materials. Um, And referring to um, Germany's very strong economy and uh, Russia's abundance of natural resources. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I've heard a a couple of theories that also say uh, that Germany kind of feels a bit of a guilt um, towards Russia because of World War II. Mm -hmm. Um, And that has kind of caused it to hold a much friendlier relationship with Russia. Um, and you can see in some of the the quotes made by German politicians that there is this reluctance to kind of shut the door, um, burn those bridges between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's definitely impacting the conversation uh, with this pipeline or with the general um, economy that's dependent on the NATO crisis right now.
0: So I think the two points that you just made, um, the World War II situation and also the... Economy slash resource uh, dynamic are very interesting ones, and I'm just wondering. So you did say that Germany is a big power in NATO, and mm-hmm. I'm just wondering to what extent uh, does that conflict with the beneficial, the mutually beneficial relationship that both nations are trying to develop? How do they conflict with each other?
1: Hmm. Um, well, like I said, it's it it's a uh, very much. Reluctance to burn the bridges that um, some argue need to be burned. Mm. Um, for example, uh, I can put the US into this uh, yeah. relationship as well. Um, there were some sanctions um, placed on Russia by the US um, because of some of these um, remarks or um, kind of tensions, um, threats of violence. Um, And these were lifted by President Biden after being implemented by President Trump Mm -hmm. um, after he met with um, the then-outgoing Chancellor Merkel Mm -hmm. um, as an act of goodwill. um, And she really kind of implored that the the needs of the German citizens be seen. Um, And this was during the time that gas prices were rising. um, And in the eyes of the German government, this was something that needed to be done. Um, the, the pipeline restored so that gas can start flowing again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so perhaps there's this historic relationship between Russia and Germany, but there's also very real reliance there. Um, and that's not something that Germany can really get rid of so quickly.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and there's many that are looking towards doing something like that, but it's not something that can happen in the matter of weeks, months,
0: Maybe even years. So I love that we are bringing us Mm -hmm. um, onto the table now. So I think it's very interesting. I think I read somewhere that uh, it was only after a week that Biden met with Merkel that the sanctions were lifted. Mm -hmm. So you know you see the obvious correlation between the two. Um, And now to focus. Uh, a bit more on the Nord Stream situation, what will be the consequences for Germany if Nord Stream 2 was actually suspended? For instance, how significant would that be to the German citizens? Even though you kind of touched upon this already, I wanted you to perhaps reiterate how just how significant Nord Stream 2 is to Germany. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, well, I don't have any specific numbers that I can give you. That's fine. Um, but there are billions of liters of gas, billions and billions, billions, that um, would be going through this pipeline into Germany. um, And to kind of show how significant and how maybe dire the situation is for Germans, um, they have been reaching out to um, the other suppliers of gas um, on the continent. um, And very much of them are up in the North uh, Baltics as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But those countries um, have actually um, very much kind of pressed Germany to let them know that they are at capacity right now. They have expanded capacity to try to uh, relieve the pressure on Germany, um, but they can't do that anymore. Um, And so Germany will probably see increasing gas prices uh, with increasing demand um, and decreasing supply as well. Um, And if this pipeline is completely cut, um, which in my opinion would only happen in a very dire situation of Mm -hmm. actual um, violence on the border um, and maybe invasion with uh, Ukraine, uh, then I, I think we can expect Germany to be in a uh, difficult situation e- economically, but also uh, in terms of them having maybe a conflict of interest. Uh, maybe conflict of interest It not the right word, uh, but as a large part of NATO, they have to make um, decisions and give input to what kind of actions they'll take, right. um, and if Germany is a, is a country that's under uh, these dire situations, as I've mentioned, maybe they're not able to make those kinds of decisions um, as clear-headed,
0: um, perhaps as they could. Yeah, because mm-hmm. of the all the urgency and exactly and everything. Um, so, I I think the. The alternatives are worth mentioning as well. Mm -hmm. You did mention that there are Baltic countries that could potentially substitute for Russia in terms of natural gas um, supply. I also read somewhere that Scandinavian countries could be an alternative as well. Mm -hmm. And you did say that uh, the capacity of those countries are not exactly, well, um, ready to be served to, to Germany. I'm just wondering why that is.
1: I think there's just an upper limit to how much you can improve the infrastructure in a short period of time. Um, And I can't remember off the top of my head uh, which country was letting Germany know that um, they will not be increasing the capacity. Um, But for them, it's also a sort of um, difficult situation and decision to make um, because they also have this reliance on that gas Um, And their citizens are also seeing that increase in gas prices. Um, So do they maybe put their own country into a more difficult situation to help out Germany?
0: um, Or is
1: Germany kind of left on its own here?
0: Yeah, I think Mm -hmm. that's a very interesting kind of phenomenon to discuss, you know, prioritizing self-interest or prioritizing... Mutual cooperation. Um, that's definitely going to be a huge problem for those countries that could potentially be alternatives for supplying natural gas. So, just coming back to Nord Stream again, um, what are some of your predictions, perhaps, on what will Germany do if the pipeline was cut off and there was no alternative mm-hmm. to uh, supply?
1: Personally, I, I have a lot of respect for the foreign policy of Germany, and I think that. Uh, We can probably expect, um, even in the face of worsening economic situations, that they would take the the high road, as it were, Mm -hmm. um, and restrict the pipeline, cut it off altogether um, to do what's needed um, to fix the situation or to better it anyway. Um, And there's um, already talks um, with the word sanction written all over it. Um, across Europe, in the U.S., um, and elsewhere. And I think that I would expect there to be um, more support coming from the U.S. The U.S. has already um, sent more um, supplies over to Germany, um, natural gas, uh, to make up for the deficit that they're seeing. Uh, And I think we can expect um,
0: more support from NATO to make up for that. So um, to what extent would you say the cutoff from, well, the cutoff of natural gas from Russia to Germany will actually better the situation in light of the conflict between Russia and Ukraine?
1: Hmm. That's difficult to say. Uh, I think that Russia would very much miss uh, the opportunity to kind of sink its claws more into the the European infrastructure um, of of natural resources. Um, But... um,
0: yeah, because wouldn't this be also a loss to the Russian economy as well, would you say that? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. The Russian economy is, has
1: sunk a lot of money into this, and um, I think it's important to make a distinction here um, between Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2. Please. Um, both of these are owned in majority by um, Gazorn, which is a Russian um, gas company, which is also the largest company in Russia. Um, by far, like they are yeah. comprising a large part of the G- um, GDP. And um, while this company has other holdings, this is its, its major focus right now. Um, and you can see that based off of the negotiations that um, their executives are having with Germany in the first part um, to try to fix
0: this. And I believe this company is state-owned, correct? It's majority state-owned, yes. I Yeah. So it is a lot of, you know, government interference, mm-hmm. I would imagine. Yes. Um, and so we talked about Germany already. Um, what would you say are the consequences for the other EU countries or just other uh, European powers, if at all?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, this gas pipeline doesn't just serve Germany. Um, and while the majority of it does, um, to my knowledge, it kind of has a radiating Um, effect to other countries, um, especially because Russia is such a large (laughs) economic force there. Mm -hmm. So um, we could expect, um, along with um, increasing gas prices and the resulting effects of that, um, that countries might start to miss um, Germany's influence and maybe decision-making capabilities um, again, it's difficult to say to what extent um, this would impact Germany up to cutting of the pipeline. Okay. Um, but we can definitely kind of have maybe an anxiety about what we can see
0: from other European countries. Well, we're, what would you say are some of the main stakeholders in this situation?
1: Hmm. Um, I think in this situation, um, beyond the obvious, Russia, Germany, Ukraine. Um, you can see some of the other large uh, European voices. Um, Italy, for example, okay. has also had um, historically a very friendly private uh, rela- private business relationship with Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, and while their government doesn't have the same amount of uh, relationship with the country, Uh, The private industry, as we can see from the Nord Stream 2, does influence to a large degree uh, what kind of public decision-making processes are implemented. Um, And to the same extent, I can see something similar with um, Britain as well. Mm.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for bringing those up. Mm -hmm. Um, And how will this, well, as an environmental policy and um, economics major, I'm just wondering how will the economy in the environmental sector of Europe change or at all, change at all, um, if Nord Stream 2 was to be sanctioned or cut off completely? Mm -hmm.
1: Um, I think just generally the same issue with um, lower supply um, for a world that's seeing much higher demand for natural gas. And of course, Germany is looking towards getting rid of its reliance on natural gas. I believe they set a goal by 2030. Uh, We are quite a bit away from 2030. (laughs) So we can see maybe um, a faster uh, reaction towards implementing maybe nuclear power, um, other types of uh, green power mm-hmm. um, yeah. in Germany, and perhaps maybe a secondary effect in other European countries um, with seeing the sort of reliance that they have on Russian um, energy and Russian gas um, to sort of move away from that into. Um, like I said, green um, sources of power.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. Um, are there any efforts already uh, being made on you know developing more green power, such as I don't know the wind energy, whatever. <laughs> oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah, that's a major um, effort in um, much of Europe right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, as to how quickly that can be, you know, that's made, up for debate Yeah, that's yeah. that's something that can't do, be done overnight, um, and maybe something that. Uh, more focus on the government level could help, but only to a certain
0: degree. Yeah, I mm-hmm. would imagine not a very um, deep extent either. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, Nord Stream 2, uh, it does bypass Ukraine to my knowledge. Yes. So, you know, it, it's not just Germany, obviously. Um, so, the fact that it bypasses Ukraine, how does that complicate things? What do you think?
1: Mhm. hmm uh, Well... I think the number one thing that that complicates is uh, just the Ukrainian voice on this, um, and the effect that this is going to have on the Ukrainian GDP, as we've already talked about. Yeah. Um, and this goes through the Baltic Sea. That's how it bypasses Ukraine altogether. Um, and I have seen some arguments by environmental activists that are against the, the setting up of a pipeline across the sea. Mm-hmm. Um, that's definitely an input into this conversation. Uh, but beyond that, I think that you only have to look at the statements that, for example, the Ukrainian president is making about all of this. Yep. Um, as you can expect, the Ukrainian government is having quite a few blows the regular way mm-hmm. in the last couple of months, um, years, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, to go back to an earlier point about the U.S.'s um, kind of impact in all of this, yeah. um, after Biden lifted the sanctions um, for the North Stream 2, um, in, in effect to try to help Merkel's um, exit from office and help Germany, um, the Ukrainian president um, submitted a, a public comment that said, we were never um, consulted in this, and we feel as if we have been somewhat left in dust, like left out of the conversation for something that is undoubtedly a very big um, part of their, yeah, very big decision. Um, And this maybe reflects some um, foreign policy decisions by Biden's foreign policy team um, that, um, for example, AUKUS um, involving um, France, where Biden has kind of left... um, their allies out of the conversation mm. in order to try to help um, the U.S.'s foreign policy objectives, which makes sense, <laughs> uh, but in this situation, um, you can see building resentment um, due to the removal of these sanctions mm. um, and some political tension in the U.S. Um, and with Germany. Um, towards the Biden decision making um, process.
0: And of course, Ukrainians
1: are also not happy about this.
0: I think it's a huge trade off. Like, what do you want mm-hmm. exactly? You know, um, the relationship with Germany and uh, supplying Germany or, you know, helping Ukraine. So I think the trade off between uh, of foreign policy in this case for the US is a very delicate one, to say the least.
1: Exactly, and I think that the US actually probably made um, that decision Um, in part um, of its larger strategy of doing whatever they can to get back to kind of the larger um, um, enemy that they have, which would be China in this situation. Mm -hmm. Um, So of course, they have a stake and they have um, a view in this situation in Europe. Um, But in the end, all of the foreign policy um, decisions in Washington are to an extent made um, in order to um, help their position against uh, China.
0: Mm. So, yeah, it's great that you brought up China. Um, why don't you tell us a bit about how exactly does the conversation uh, between U.S. and Germany and also the sanctions on Russia, how does that reflect uh, U.S.'s stance on the U.S.-China relationship, and how does that like shift, perhaps, away from the tension between U.S. and China? hmm
1: um, I'm not sure to what extent China's um, influence is with this particular um, issue with um, the Nord Stream Two, mm-hmm. uh, but I can say that it would be interesting and maybe um, a smart thing to do in in the future when looking at the decisions that Washington is making um, with the uh, NATO crisis, the Ukrainian crisis, etc. To see um, to what extent um, this is actually made in an effort to help the situation in Europe uh, maybe de-escalate, or whether it's a larger effort on their part um, to get China's influence in Europe, which is also building at the same time as um, Russia's, is to get that kind of uh, curtailed.
0: Yeah, I think China's uh, presence, especially in the infrastructure uh, arena in Europe, is definitely not one to be underestimated, and it's been growing um, exactly. since... China's economy has been growing, so it's definitely, like, another topic that we should delve into um, in the future, but now let's focus on Nord Stream 2 again. Um, you did mention that the pipeline across sea, uh, according to the environmental activists, actually have environmental implications, I assume negative ones. Could you maybe just um, elaborate a bit on that?
1: I'm not sure to what extent. I haven't been able to look too much into the environmental aspect, but... Um, no, I'm an environmental focus major. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, then let's talk about the sanctions again. Um, what is the Biden administration at the moment specifically saying about the sanctions that potentially could be lifted or implemented on Nord Stream 2 for mm-hmm.
1: Russia? So the latest um, policy change for this um, in terms of sanctions um, was, as I mentioned, lifting the sanctions. Yep. Um, but interestingly enough, um, the loudest voice currently in Washington um, advocating for further sanctions has been the Senate Republicans. Ted um, Cruz, i Yes, exactly, headed by Ted Cruz, uh, which ha- he has been the largest voice on re-implementing um, sanctions. Right. Um, and from an American standpoint, I think it's pretty interesting to see how um, uh, U.S. Republican senators are actually siding with the Green Party in Germany. (laughs) Um, Unlikely um, companionship there, I think. Mm. Mm -hmm.
0: All right, so let's wrap everything up a bit. Um, So what do you personally predict uh, on the sanction status based on your current knowledge and your research that you have done for your article?
1: Mm -hmm. I'm not too optimistic or too optimistic about the situation at the moment. Um, I believe that um, in the end, business interests always went out. Um, And I think we can probably expect to see um, if an increase in sanctions in order to um, decrease the tensions with Russia, um, maybe put in a heavy hand to decrease the likelihood of invasion, um, those sanctions will eventually be removed um, and the pipeline will likely um, continue. Um, And as we mentioned at the beginning of this, um, it has actually not been able to transport gas over to Germany. Um, I think we can probably expect by the end of 2022, mm-hmm. um, in the absence of, obviously, worse um, tensions on the border mm. or invasion, we can probably expect that the, the pipeline will be up and running.
0: Let's hope that an invasion doesn't happen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, so do you have any last comments for your article that you're um, publishing anytime soon? Um, I don't think so. know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <come laughs> me... Well, check it out.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, check it yeah. out, um, and... Um, I'm interested to see um, whether there are other opinions about this situation, maybe some more optimistic people that are hoping that um, a uh, transition to green energy will make this entire situation disappear uh, for the better. (laughs)
0: Um, yeah, check well, out the article. Yeah, check out the article. Uh, Comment under uh, Stephanie's, you know, article. Talk to her about it. I'm sure she's available to talk. She's always on campus, so you know, um, check out her article. It's gonna be on BPR's homepage. So yeah, that wraps up our interview. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.